ministry this evening. We have been looking at some texts, really just started uh, in the last uh, couple of Sundays with our theme for the year 2024, the theme of discipleship. And so we are going to be looking at several passages as we start the year, several passages that have to do with being an example. For us to be good disciplers, to be good mentors, we have to recognize the importance of our own character, our own life, and our example. As you've often probably heard, more is caught than taught. And I think this realization hit me really hard just a short time before our, our first was born, Emily. I remember sitting in the living room one night and I had this, I don't know, you call it maybe an epiphany or something like that. I had this just, I don't know, just a, a, a thought from the Lord. A, uh, I won't call it a revelation. I won't call it that. It wasn't like I had a vision in the sky or anything like that. But it just, it just hit me because Emily's, uh, Kelly's due date was coming up and Emily was, was soon to be born. And, and it struck me really hard, I think, for just really the first time that I'm about to be a father. And I'm going to have another set of little eyes and little ears looking up to me, hearing me. And it, it just really kind of hit me at that moment, that, that uh, night. And I just uh, called out to the Lord and just, and just prayed, uh, Lord, help me to, to, to be a good father. And uh, still have a lot to learn, a long ways to go. But I tell you what, it has been a journey. And I've learned a lot through being a, being a dad and, and not done yet. Uh, being a dad is uh, the best and uh, the hardest thing, it seems like, in life all at the same time. I remember years ago, you'll see him on television now. I think he still does some commentary for the NBA. But I remember years ago, there was a big controversy because Charles Barkley spoke up and said, I am not your child's role model. And it stirred up a whole bunch of controversy at the time. And it was in the news and it was in the different sports, ESPN and all that. And I understand what Charles Barkley was, was trying to say. And he received some of that criticism I felt like was unfair. But what he was saying is, I cannot be your, your child's role model. I'm not supposed to be your child's role model. At the same time, I think there was some fair criticism of the fact that you don't have a choice if you're an NBA all-star. If you're an athlete and you're out there on the court and people are voting for you for all-star games and you're one of the better players in the NBA, they're are young people looking at your life and they are wanting to kind of be like you. And I understood some of the criticism and uh, some of it was unfair, but he, he basically was, was trying to say there are better role models than me. I shouldn't be your idol. I shouldn't be the one that you uh, tell your kids to, to look up to. At the same time, that just came with the territory. He was going to have to accept the fact that the way he conducted himself on and off the court was going to affect other people. Now, we don't want our children, we shouldn't be idolizing really any individual uh, besides, obviously, Jesus Christ. He is uh, God, and he is uh, to be preeminent, and we are not to have any other gods uh, before uh, the one true and living God. But we are thankful for mentors, we're thankful for good examples. We have influence 
whether we like it or not, we are going to affect other people, whether it be as a father or a mother, whether it be in a position of leadership in the home or at work, uh, as a coach. Sometimes there's tremendous opportunity as a coach, as a teacher, various ways in which we impact other lives. We influence other people. Well, Paul is helping Timothy here in 1 Timothy 4, in verse number 12. And he says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. And then he goes on to list several areas. So Timothy, as a young preacher, probably now in his 30s, and yet Paul refers to him as a youth. Uh, the Greeks, they looked at a 30-year-old still as young, inexperienced, <laughs> not having quite arrived uh, in maturity in life. And Paul was saying there are people fairly or unfairly are going to look at your life and don't bring anything into your life. Don't allow anything into your life. In other words, live in such a way that people don't look down upon your youthfulness. Later on in verse 16, he will say, take heed unto thyself. Similar to what Paul says to the Ephesian elders as he's in, uh, I believe it's in Acts chapter 20. And the Ephesian elders uh, come out and speak to Paul as he's on his way back to Jerusalem. And from there he will end up on a prison boat to Rome. But he talks about, to those Ephesian elders, he talks about considering yourself first. And as we desire to highlight the theme of discipleship this year, I really want us to understand that we have, we have the opportunity to be an example. That in order for us to be good disciplers, we need to understand the importance of our example. So we'll see tonight, first of all, our example examined. Our example examined. This word example in the original language is the word tupos, T-U-P-O-S, and it literally means a cast or a die, a stamp. I don't know exactly what year or what particular stamp this is, but this would be a sort of ancient or a type of seal or die that would be used, in a sense, to seal a document, to be an official seal, to declare that particular document as official. Some of us, I don't know if anybody in our church is a, uh, a notary uh, public, uh, does notary services, I don't know if anybody is like that, but you've probably had to have a document notarized. We went uh, to the bank uh, last year. I forget what, what the document was, and we had to go in, and uh, there had to be a document notarized. If you have any kind of official document, I think often of transcripts, having been a principal for many years, I think of how many times I had to seal a transcript, and it had to be the official seal of our school in order for the particular college or institution or whatever to accept that document. And we had a literal 
stamp that we would use. And then I remember faxing one. I know faxing is not something we do a lot of nowadays, but it still, uh, it still uh, functions. Uh, most of the time we send uh, emails. And now we have, just the other day I received an email, and it was a secure email that was under Microsoft, and I had to enter my Microsoft account password in order to open the document because it was an official document. I've had to open email documents with official passwords or a particular type of code. We use all that digital stuff today, but back in Bible times, there was usually some sort of metal or stone stamp seal that was, as you can see, fairly detailed. It was significant. It meant this is the official seal. This is the official stamp that has been authorized by the one who is doing the sealing. Now, we might think of something like this. And this is an official seal, or at least a replica of an official seal. And this would be, of course, on specific documents we know that this seal doesn't have the integrity and doesn't represent the integrity uh, that it used to. Uh, sadly, in some ways, this particular office has uh, not uh, been held with high integrity. And there's a lot of different individuals that we could uh, mention. Okay, I won't get into all that. But if there were to be the official seal of the President of the United States, it would have to have something like this in order for it to con be considered as authoritative. If somebody makes a change, we see this in money, bills, if there's something that is counterfeit, if it doesn't have the hologram or the document or the, the official seal of some sort, there's certain things now that, that, are, that are being done to because of theft, especially in the 50s and 100s, from what I understand, and sometimes they bring out a pen or they show it in the light to see the official seal or whatever it is that identifies it as authoritative, as the real deal. Well, we see these things and we think of these things, and in a sense, that's what Paul is saying here to Timothy. He's saying that he is to be an example of the believers. Now, specifically to Timothy as a preacher, as a pastor in the ministry, clearly in the passage, in the context that Derek read, he is emphasizing Timothy's role as a pastor. There's qualifications, the, the, the high regard that uh, God holds for uh, those in the ministry, those who are preachers of the gospel, and specific qualifications, and the character and the integrity that's required, as well as the, the, the doctrinal integrity. But what about for us? Whether we're in the ministry or not, whether we're a minister of the gospel or a preacher of the gospel or not, do we have the responsibility to be an example to believers? Of course we do. But how much do we look like the seal, the stamp? Because the seal, the stamp of our life should reflect who? Jesus Christ. We should be in our life, in our character, we should be just like Jesus Christ. Now, I understand we all fall short. I understand that we are not completely holy and sinless perfection is not going to be achieved this side of heaven. 
But we are called to God's standard of holiness. Be holy for I am holy. So our stamp, the stamp of our life, should look just like the stamp of the Lord Jesus Christ, the seal of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be cast according to the die of conformity to Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever been to a blacksmith shop. I don't know if you've ever been to like Connor Prairie or someplace like that. And It was fascinating. I drove field trips from time to time to Connor Prairie and I always intri- was intrigued by the blacksmith and I always was really excited when the blacksmith was there and he got to actually do something right there in front of us really really neat to see and there would be times there would be dyes that would be cast and so that the metal would be heated up or poured into a certain dye our lives are to be conformed to the image of Christ what does Romans 12 talk about not letting the world press us into its mold Instead, by conformity to the life of Christ, we should be Christ-like. We should be letting through the word of God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, seeing our lives be conformed, molded into the shape, the seal, the die of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the example. He goes on in this verse where he says, or actually in the first statement that he gives in verse 12, let no man despise thy youth. Again, do not act in such a manner that any should despise you on account of your youth. He says, your example, your conformity, your Christ-likeness will prevent people from despising, looking down upon your youthfulness. You have something, Timothy, he's saying in the context, you have something already against you. You're young. To the Greeks, you're going to look very young because you're not even 40 years old yet. There's various ways in which young people are looked at. We see in our culture today the way some young people behave. Isn't it sad to see just right here in Lafayette in the news Young people shooting out the back windshield of a car window down on 52. Just in the last couple of weeks, three teenagers shooting across the road, across 52, and they blew out somebody's back windshield, got arrested. Isn't it sad to hear that three teenagers downtown, I forget what street, Wee hours of the morning, somebody was walking down one of the downtown streets and three teenagers jumped the guy and stole, I forget what, from him. Young people, there's a crisis of youth in our culture today. Fatherless homes, parents who have their kids more on medicine than they do on the word of God. There, there are kids today, we struggled with it in school, and there's a place, I understand, for certain, <clears throat> excuse me, certain kinds of medicine and certain needs. I, I'm not saying, I'm not 100% against all medicine for young people, but we would see kids almost turn into zombies sometimes because no one ever wanted to deal with that particular child and their uh, attention deficit or whatever the case may be. And I'm, I'm not here to get into to all of 
the ramifications of that. But I read just a couple years ago that there has been zero, zero in the research, there has been zero benefit academically for kids on all these different attention deficit medicines. They have done research and they have proven that those medicines had zero effect on the academic success of students. Young people being despised, some of that is deserved because of their behavior. But I'm saying this, what about our example to our youth? What about the crisis of our youth? What's going to change that? It's going to have to be the word of God. It's going to have to be strong homes. It's going to have to be strong fathers. It's going to have to be people stepping into young people's lives who are cast after the die of Jesus Christ, who are going to make an imprint on the lives of the next generation, the young people. I don't want to be a naysayer and a fear monger, but I get concerned about the faithfulness, the work ethic. I get concerned about who's going to make up the church in the next 10 to 15 years. Who's, who's going to be faithful to the services? Who's going to show their children God at home and in their faithfulness to the place that God has commanded that we meet? I didn't, bring, I didn't mention it this morning, but one of the ways that I'm so thankful in our home that my parents showed the necessity of having God first in our lives is the fact that we were so faithful to church. And when we moved to Indianapolis in 1983, I remember my mom and dad having the conversation that we were going to buy a house where we could get to church. It was going to be convenient and close for us to get to church. Yes, there was going to be a place where my dad could get on the freeway and get to work. But I remember to this day the conversation that my mom and dad had about having a home where we could be faithful to church. And we were. And that made an impression on my life that God was going to be first. And I'm thankful that it was lived at home as well as uh, at, at church. But what, what kind of example are we setting? What kind of die has been cast or what die is being cast? What kind of stamp are we making upon those around us who see our lives and see, we, see the way we live. We all have influence. Our testimony matters. People are watching. I understand that character is what we are when nobody else is around and reputation is what people think us to be, but I like to emphasize the word testimony because we do affect others, either for or against Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be controlled by a desire to please people we have to be careful about being controlled by a constant desire to please people. If we're not careful about that, we can compromise or overextend ourselves or we can give in to uh, error if we're not careful. We have to be careful about this desire to please people. But at the same time, does our testimony matter? Does our example matter? Of course it does. There's that constant tension, not being a people pleaser and being controlled by what people think of us, but at the same time having a good testimony and having the kind of character that sets forth a good reputation. And wouldn't it be great, not that we would know because we, we would be in glory, but wouldn't it be great if the character of our life left a legacy unto our children's children, as Proverbs talks about, 
so that even after we're gone, there's something about our life that is still having impact and having an effect for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the kind of desire that we should have. Our testimony matters. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. How about Proverbs 22 and verse number 1? A good name, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Sadly, we see a lot of people chasing after great gold and silver and they don't have a great name. Their name is marred. There's no example of the believer in their life. Their life is not characterized by the character traits that we're going to look at here in just a few moments. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse number 1, a good name is better than precious ointment. Now, I don't do a lot of shopping in the perfume section of Kohl's or Macy's or those other places, but some of those perfumes and colognes are incredibly expensive. Hundreds of dollars for a three-ounce bottle of this stuff. And you see commercials, especially around the holidays, right, for these incredibly expensive perfumes. And they smell nice, and sometimes you go into a, a place, a public place, or you're around certain people, and Sometimes it's a little overwhelming, isn't it? People will wear uh, an abundance of aroma, and it can be a little overwhelming. But people will pay big money to have a particular aroma, scent, perfume, cologne, and it can be extremely expensive. Well, Ecclesiastes, again, a reminder to us that a good name is better than even that expensive cologne or perfume that smells nice, that has a uh, refreshing kind of sense or whatever, our, our, our name, our reputation, our character is better than even that. We know there are lots of people who are famous, materially successful, that are wicked and evil. We know that godly character, a good reputation, and a life lived above reproach brings glory to God exalts Christ, and makes a difference in people's lives for all eternity. We have an opportunity to be an example and to influence, whether it be our children, grandchildren, students in our classroom, people that we work with. We have an opportunity. In some cases, we are the only individual that they know who has any character, integrity, any person, any other person in their life is unsaved, lives for themselves, for the devil, lives according to, like we talked about in Sunday school, the lust of the flesh and the prince of the power of the air and children of disobedience. For some pla- in, in some places, we are the only individual who is a light of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's huge. That's a major responsibility that we have before the Lord to be an example of the believer. So we see our example 
examined, our example examined. Probably the greatest example of our example that we should have, of course, is Jesus Christ, who in Luke 2 and verse 52 grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So we see our example examined, but also our example explained. Our example explained. We see here in this verse an example of the believer, and he lists several areas. First of all, in word. This is obvious speech. We spent some time recently in our Sunday morning series looking at James 3. Does not James deal with the tongue in James 3? And the tongue being a world of iniquity, a little member, but can cause a great fire. We know that James deals with the tongue quite a bit. But what about Ephesians 4, 25 through 31? What about some principles of the tongue from Ephesians 4, verse 25? Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. So our tongue should not be deceitful. We should not have a lying tongue. We should not have an angry tongue. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. No corrupt communication. Sadly, Believers, even so-called Christians, people who claim the name of Christ, have no problem nowadays. Too many of them have no problem using all kinds of vulgarity, filthy language, words I won't even allude to tonight, innuendos. I would deal with young people on a regular basis, even in a Christian school. It was not uncommon for me to have to deal with young people especially young men, locker room talk, bathroom humor, you know what I'm talking about? Ah, and they would say, oh, Pastor Brandt, you're just being too, it's just part of growing up, and I'd get the parents sometimes. Oh, don't you know, that's just the way, you should have heard what it was like in my school. Ephesians 4 and verse 29 says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth except in the locker room. That's not what it says. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. It's just expected of young people to do it anyway, especially boys. No. I know our kids sometimes have complained, well, the other kids, they talk like this, and they can say this, and they can talk about that. Sorry, I know your last name is Floyd, but it's okay. All right? You're not going to talk like that. I know sometimes we've been overly strict about certain kinds of euphemisms and phrases and words, and I... Just say that's just the way it's going to be around our house. Um, when you move out and you're on your own, we'll just come and get you if you talk like that. But, you know, just, just kidding, just kidding. But we've tried to set the, the bar high. Even with the kinds of things that we watch on TV, we've been very strict programming movies. Because I don't want our kids to have their minds full of vulgarities and innuendos. I can think of a word right now that I was told by my dad, do not say this because it means this. And I was, I didn't even want to think about what my dad just, I was at the age where my dad had enough discretion to tell me what the meaning of this word was. 
Now it is used all the time by so-called Christians. I was a principal of a school, of a Christian school, and kids were using it left and right. And I tried to correct one one time, and they just looked at me like I was an alien from another planet. But I remember as a young person, my dad told me what that word meant. And I was like, that's vulgar. I don't want, and now I'm having to deal with young people who've never been trained, never been taught. And that word is just used commonly among Christians today. I just can't say it, and I won't let my kids say it, because I, I know what its original meaning is. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, verse 30. And then verse 31, where other kind of measurement for our language, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Malicious words, slanderous words, gossip, the bitter and wrathful language that comes out, not always in the form of vulgarity, but in caustic put-downs, inflammatory mudslinging. Sometimes our young people or the people we work with, adults around us, they sound like the politicians that throw all kinds of nasty stuff back and forth. We shouldn't be that way. Verse 32, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That should be the measure of our words. We should be an example of believers in word. Also, we see in conversation or conduct. This is our manner of living and our behavior. Wish we had time to go through all these verses. But Titus chapter 2, another young preacher boy that Paul is helping. Titus 2 and verse 10. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Our life can adorn the doctrine of God, and our life should adorn the doctrine of God in all things. Again, so many other passages. I wish we had time to go to all of these different verses, but being holy, letting our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. And in Titus 2 and verse 7, speaks of a pattern of good works. What about an example of the believers in charity? We know the word is love. The King James translators use the word charity because it was the idea of love having action. Love in action with sacrifice. Love not just in, oh, feelings. Love is love. All that and just the mystical mushy, ushy, gushy feelings. No, the word charity was used because it spoke to the action of love, the sacrifice of love, the choice of love. Sacrificial service for others, walking in love as Christ loved us, laying down our lives for the brethren, 1 John 3 and verse 16 and Romans 12 and verse 9, that our love be without dissimulation, without hypocrisy, saying, oh yeah, I love you, and having all the right words, but never living it, never showing it, never actually putting it into action and sacrificing. This can be an issue in the home, a husband and wife, and that relationship. There can sometimes be the lack of those words. Those words should be said to one another, but sometimes there's the words, but there's no action. There's no willing choice and sacrifice for the best of the other, for God's best in the other person's life. Be an example of believers in word, in conversation, in charity, and in spirit. 
in spirit. Here we see this word that speaks to our attitude, to the discipline of our life, to our thinking. Romans 12 and verse number 2 again, that our minds be renewed. That our minds be renewed. Romans 12 and verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Down in Romans 12 and verse number 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, a fervency for the Lord, a disciplined life whose motive and thoughts and desires are for the Lord's work and the Lord's purpose and the Lord's will in our lives and for the furthering of God's kingdom and the gospel of Jesus Christ. What about Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5 where we're told to let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. We're never told in the Bible to empty our minds. We're never told in the Bible to really have an open mind. We're told to have the mind of Christ, to have a sound mind, to gird the loins of our mind, to renew our mind. My dad would say something like this. Some people are so open-minded that their brains fall out. They don't think. They don't think biblically. They don't think scripturally. They don't use any discernment. And then there's all this transcendental meditation, mystical navel-gazing that goes on and all the spiritism where you're just supposed to, you know, do some sort of, I don't know, some zen-like kind of meditation and empty your mind of everything. Well, what happens if we, when we do that kind of stuff, who fills our mind? <laughs> the devil does. A lot of wrong thoughts boil up. Not the word of God, unfortunately, when we do that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that we can't relax and we can't rest and we can't uh, bow our head and close our eyes, but we should engage our mind in prayer there are times, obviously, where we sleep or we're thinking about certain things and dwelling on, but again, Philippians 4 and verse number 8. True, honest, just, virtuous, praiseworthy, good report, truth, honesty. That's what we should be thinking about. Think on these things as we looked at last week. What about faith? It's literally the word faithfulness. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And then we're to be an example in purity. This is moral and ethical purity. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19, flee fornication. Ephesians 5 and verse 3, don't let fornication even once be named among you. We had a powerful message yesterday from Mark Herbster on moral purity. It's everywhere. It's not just boys, it's girls. It's not just men, it's women. Under attack. This, the sexual revolution has created a perversion and a corruption of our culture. I read an article several years ago, many really now, years ago, talked about the pornification of our culture. And as I read this article, I did not realize how much was in mainstream media, entertainment, music, and movies, and even in our language that was directly out of the porn industry, the streets industry, if you know what I mean, and other nightclub type of activities. I was shocked as I read this, how much of that was now in the culture and it was mainstreamed. 
We have to keep ourselves pure. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the corruption of the lust of our flesh in the mind, it ruins relationships, it ruins marriages, it causes a young man to not treat his wife properly, to not treat a young lady properly. For a lady, it uh, does similar with her husband, with a, a boy, with a man. We don't have time to go into all of it, but he says, be an example of the believer in our purity. So that is our example explained. We've seen our example examined, and then we close tonight, and our final points in the last few minutes that we have is our example maintained. The rest of this passage, he really deals with the Word of God. He deals with, in verse 13, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, into doctrine. Reading literally is public reading because they didn't have all of the printing presses and ways of copying the scripture that we have today. It was not uncommon for a church to bring in a manuscript and to read publicly the scripture because many of the people did not have their own personal copy of the word of God. We have probably dozens, maybe not dozens, but we probably have multiple copies of the Bible in our possession. And then we have Bible apps where the Bible is at our fingertips. We have a very convenient access to multiple copies of the Word of God. And yet we sometimes are the most biblically illiterate. I mentioned last week, I think it was last Sunday night or maybe Wednesday night, I read an article about the biblical worldview and it was somewhere in the neighborhood of like 6% of the overall population of the United States that even has a biblical worldview among adults. People who don't even, you watch Jeopardy sometimes and aren't you shocked that there are grown adults who are intellectually brainiacs and there's a Bible category, and they don't, that, they don't even know that Noah went on the ark. They don't know that David was a shepherd boy. There's an illiteracy among people today of the Bible. He says to maintain our example, we have to stay in the word. He's, I know he's talking to a preacher here, but he says give attendance, give attention to reading. He knows Timothy's often going to be the one up there publicly reading the Bible because the people are going to not have a personal copy that they would have from week to week. They would come to church longing to hear the word of God. If it wasn't in their memory bank, they had no copy of the scripture the whole week long. So Timothy was going to stand up and in his proclamation as a preacher, it would include the public reading of the Bible. How important it was for him to do that for his own personal benefit, but for those also who he was ministering to. The exposition of scripture is included in that same thought, in that same word. Exhortation, applying the word of God. Doctrine has to do with the systematic instruction of the word of God, the teaching of the word of God. I'm thankful for a church where we emphasize the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. I know that we don't have all the bells and whistles of a big mega church ministry. But sometimes I see some of these other churches and it's more about entertainment. It's more about big concerts and 
all kinds of, of other things going on. And I'm not saying all of that is bad. I'm not saying all that is unprofitable. I'm just saying sometimes I see churches where, where is the gospel? Where is the word of God? It seems like it's all about entertainment or something. And I'm thankful that we have a church that emphasizes the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. I know some people, they, they, they act like, well, didn't you, get, didn't you get enough of the Bible on, on Sunday? Why would you have to read it on Monday? Why would you go back to church on a Wednesday, go back on a Sunday night? Didn't you get enough Bible you know, in the morning? I mean, that's the attitude of many people. Well, I'm, a, I'm under attack 24-7, it seems like. I need the word of God regularly and consistently. I, I know I have the opportunity and the privilege and the responsibility, the call of God to preach, but I need preaching. I have to have my own personal devotions, my own walk with the Lord. It, it, we all need the word of God, and so much the more we're told to assemble together, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, and so much the more. As you see the day approaching, as we were reminded yesterday at the men's meeting, I mentioned it this morning, that we need the Lord we need each other. We need the church. Obviously, we need the Bible. We need Christ. We need our relationship with God. Now more than ever, as there is so much darkness that is surrounding us. And yet it seems like many believers or professing Christians act like, well, I don't need that much Bible. I can, I can do just fine on my own. I don't need that much. That's just too much. <laughs> I, I just, when do you ever take off your armor in the, as a soldier of the Lord and the armor of God? When do if, you ever, if you're a soldier and you ever took off the armor that you needed for battle, you would be dead on the battlefield. We need the whole armor of God. Be strong in the Lord. Praying always. We need the sword of the Spirit. Here we see the maintaining of our example by consistently applying the Word of God to our lives, being under its instruction in Bible study, spiritual disciplines, knowing God through his word, consistently, regularly, faithfully. Because our testimony must be maintained by the word of God applied and lived. We need the Bible's exhortation. We need the Bible's doctrine. Doctrine demands duty. Belief affects behavior. Principle affects practice. We need the doctrine of the word of God. We need to constantly and consistently be reminded and rehearsed. We are forgetful people, prone to wander. I talk about school probably too much. Sorry if I mention education in school too much. But we review. We homeschool. We review. We go back over. We go to the end of the chapter, and there are review questions. At the end of the quarter, there is a quarterly exam. There's a review section for the material that's been covered over three chapters review rehearse remind repetition as a teacher kelly would often with the younger kids as they're learning to read going over the alphabet and the vowels and the consonants and the sounds over and over and over why is it that i can stand up here today and i can go through two plus two is four two plus three i can go through my multiplication tables I can even quote, not as well as I used to, aboard, about, above, across, after, against, along, among, around. Why, why can I just rattle those off? Because I had English teachers in school that made us say the adverbs over and over, and the prepositions over and over and over. 
We cannot be forgetful hearers. We have to be not just hearers, of course, but then be doers and living it out practically. But we need the Bible's exhortation and doctrine. And we need the accountability of others in helping us remain faithful to the Word of God. We need each other. Timothy is going to have a church to minister to. He had to be an example of the believers as a minister of the gospel. But we have to be an example of believers. If we're going to have any impact for Christ, if we're going to have any kind of discipleship, we are going to have to be an example of the believers in word and conversation, in charity and spirit and faith and in purity so that we could ultimately please and glorify the Lord, but also so that we can have an impact for the Lord Jesus Christ upon others and upon the next generation. I can look back through my life, so many people that I looked up to through the years, so many people that influenced my life, so many people that they didn't even realize that I was watching. And we have those people And we are those people, whether we like it or not. Whether Charles Barkley liked the fact that he was going to be an influence and be a role model, whether he complained and didn't like it or not, he had influence, he was impacting others, and we are in a far greater role than an NBA basketball player. We have a far greater responsibility than to shoot a basketball through a hoop or to play defense or get a rebound. We have the opportunity and the responsibility to be an example to believers in all of these areas. May the Lord help us to to his glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, this is a humbling passage that reminds us of the great responsibility of being an example to believers in all these areas. May we go forth from here and by your grace and with your help, Lord, be an example to believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. And Lord, when we fail, help us, Lord, to Seek your forgiveness and the forgiveness of others and to get back up and to be faithful and serve and not stay defeated. And Lord, help us to be good disciples. Help us, Lord, to see the next generation grow up, to serve you, to be faithful. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.